Thank you, Jesus. You know, I want to continue sharing along the lines of what I started this morning. I didn't get to where I was wanting to go, and tonight I'm going to get there quickly. But let me just real quickly refresh this, that, you know, people are wondering what is God doing in the earth today, and it's not God who only releases a portion of Himself and moves in waves and touches some people miraculously and other people. He just gives you a little bit. We see that from our perspective, and it looks like God just is hit and miss. He heals some people. He doesn't heal other people. He blesses some people and doesn't bless others. But that is not a true representation. God is the same. His grace is the same towards every person. God has an abundant life for every single person, and it's not God who makes one prosperous and another not prosperous, one healed and another not healed, one that is positive and another one negative. God doesn't do these things, but rather we limit God by all of these things in our life, and there's just a lot of stuff. And this morning I was talking about that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, but it's according to the power that works in us. And so God is wanting revival more than we want it. We, this whole concept of we have to pray and ask God to pour out His Spirit, I believe is wrong. He poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost and God has never taken it back. What has happened is people have walked away from it and people have gotten sidetracked. And there's many things that cause this. The Scripture talks about the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things enter in and it chokes the Word of God. And prosperity, uh, traditionally, if you go back in history in the church, has caused the church to be ineffective because they get the word choked. They get their attention on something else. They get to seeking after uh, the material things and after all the comfort and thinking about just themselves. When you get into a bad situation, people all of a sudden recognize that, you know, our the things that we're trusting in aren't working. Like when 9-11 happened, boy, this whole nation started talking about God. Even the people who didn't talk about God talked about God because we weren't sure what was happening. We were unsteady, and people all of a sudden start turning to the Lord, and you see some things happen. And then after a little bit of time goes along, other things come in and crowd it out. When you have tragedy in your life, people turn to the Lord and they begin to start having these things. God's not the one that causes the tragedy. Tragedy comes because we get self-willed and do our own thing. But anyway, the point I'm making is God has an abundant life for every one of us. God has a plan for this nation. And we try all of these things to turn it around. We get people to pray and to beg God. That is not how this nation is going to change. I'm not going to spend all night teaching on this, but... Some of you may not have been with the Lord long enough to remember back when the moral majority started, when Pat Robertson read, ran for president and Christians were mobilized and we were going to get into the government, we were going to change things. And you know what? It did make an impact and there were people that were elected because of the influence of the Christians, but it didn't change this nation. And you know what? It doesn't matter who's in the White House. Now, I, I believe that we can get people that honor God more than the people that we have in Congress and in politics now and stuff. But really, you aren't going to change this nation through politics. Politics are a byproduct of this nation. You know why the people that are in that have the values that they have that aren't honoring God and are coming against everything that this nation was founded upon? You know why they're there? Because... People elected them. Those politicians reflect the views of this nation. 
And the church's strength isn't to mobilize and get different people elected. The power of the church is to preach the Word of God. And through the gospel and through changing people, if we had a revival and if people were changed in this nation, I guarantee you it would be reflected in the votes. People would start putting in people and instead of uh, electing somebody who just promises to give you something, you would elect people with godly values. The scripture says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any person. And so the way to change this nation isn't from the top down, but it's from the bottom up. You change individuals, and when individuals get changed and they put God first, then they will start listening to God and electing people who will uh, promote God's agenda. Otherwise, if you start from the top down, if you, if say for instance, we just had the most godly person in the United States and we elected him dictator for one year, and then we go back to a democracy or whatever, but we want him to come in and just clean this up. And yet if people's hearts are wrong, there would be a civil war. There would be a rebellion. It would not work. The way we're going to change this nation is through taking the Word of God. The real strength of the church is the power of the Word of God. It's the gospel. And any time you try and divert that and we mobilize people into political things, I'm not saying that we don't do that, but that shouldn't be the focus. The strength, our, our secret weapon is the gospel. It's the power of the Word of God. The thing that's going to change your life is not just praying and asking God and having somebody lay hands on you, although God uses those things. But the thing that's going to change your life long term and make a difference is if the Word of God becomes absolute authority in your life and begins to move. And you can go to the Bible and you can look at any great thing recorded in the Bible. When Moses came, he was in the desert and he saw God and God gave him a word and told him what to do. And the Word of God set him on fire. And he went down to the mightiest nation on the face of the earth with nothing but a stick amen, and defeated him, a rod in his hand. And he beat them all with the rod of God and did all of these miracles because he had a word from God. Joseph had a dream and God revealed something to him and set the word in his heart. And all of a sudden, Joseph started speaking this out. And he got tremendous persecution for 13 years. Everything in his life was bad. And it looked like he went backwards instead of forwards. But eventually he rose to the second most important place in the earth at that time. And literally saved not only the nation of Israel, but all nations. He preserved, God used him in a powerful way. And it's because he had a word from God. It came to him in a dream. And then we have instances in the New Testament of people. Paul, he, after he was touched and encountered God, he spent 13 years in the deserts getting the Word of God in him. And then he came out and wrote half of the New Testament and transformed the entire world. And here we are still today talking about Paul and the impact. Every one of you probably has been born again. If we could just trace it back to the truths that, that Paul spoke. We went through a period of time where that wasn't prevalent. And then Martin Luther got hold of one of Paul's statements in Romans 3.27, caused the Reformation. It caused us to have the gospel today and has done everything. Everything that God has done that has ever changed the world has come through some person who got a revelation of God's word and started speaking that word. And God used those truths to change individuals. And then that changes nations and that changes history. I tell you, there is nothing. The most important thing you will ever do in your life is get the Word of God in your heart, changing your values, 
causing you to understand and relate to God and letting God flow through you. Ultimately, it's relationship with God that changes everything. But the Word of God is the number one way to relationship with God. If you don't have the truth of the Word of God, you will fall into wrong thinking, and wrong thinking produces wrong believing. So ultimately, the Word of God is the most important thing that any person can do. And you know, I really am privileged and thrilled that God has called me to teach the Word, that God has called us to have a Bible school, because we are changing people through the Word of God. And we're raising up people that are literally going around the world. And I believe that, you know, if the Lord tarries another hundred years or whatever, I believe that the things that are happening right here are going to be making a difference around the world. It's going to affect nations. I'm not going to take time tonight to tell you about it, but we, we literally have nations that are being impacted by people that have come right out of this place. I prophesied over Leland Shores right here that God was going to give him supernatural favor. He was going to meet with the president and the first lady of Uganda and that doors were going to be open. And I was so privileged to be in Uganda when he got to meet with the president and the first lady. I was there and saw that prophecy come to pass. And I talked to the first lady and she talked to me for five or ten minutes. Usually her audiences are like 15 minutes and it's over. And I talked to her for 10 or 15 minutes, and then I introduced Leland, and it was just absolutely supernatural. She was polite to me. She was nice. She's a born-again believer, very strong born-again believer. And she was nice to me, but when I introduced Leland, Leland started talking, and I mean, it's just like, man, she zeroed in on him. It was supernatural how they hit it off. And in that 10 or 15-minute interview, which the guy who took us in, and he's taken in... Uh, lots and lots of people. He said the longest he'd ever seen them talk to anybody was 15 or 20 minutes. They talked to Leland and me for over 50 minutes, nearly a solid hour. And she says, please call me. I want to go through your discipleship program. And I tell you, they have supernatural favor. God is opening up doors. And I, this is just happening over and over and over and over again all around the world, and the best is yet to come. So anyway, I say all of that to say, I want to take an example out of the Word of God and show you how one man got a word from God and changed an entire nation. Just by him having God give him a word and then being bold enough to act on it. And you know, the same thing that God has done for other people, He will do for you. God is not a respecter of persons. I quoted this this morning, Second Chronicles 16.9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in his sight. God is seeking for this. Again, a lot of people think that God just does whatever he wants to. No, he doesn't. He flows through people. God has to have people cooperate with him. He flows through people, and we can limit God. And God is here tonight looking and seeking. Is there anybody here that would open up and believe God? Put Him first. Take the truths of the Word of God and begin to stand and speak the truth and impact your world. And God's looking. You know, our response ought to be, God, don't look any further. Stop right here. It's me. Any of you ever heard of Dwight L. Moody? Dwight L. Moody was in a revival service and there hadn't been a single person saved the whole week. And he came in... And the preacher made a statement that the world has yet to see what God could do through one man who is totally committed to him. 
And Dwight L. Moody stood up and said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. And he didn't even have a third grade education. He tried to apply for membership to the church and they turned him down because he didn't have enough uh, indication that he was a Christian. They turned him down and wouldn't even let him join the church. And this man just went out and turned continents upside down, preached in front of kings and queens. And here we are a hundred years or more after his death, and Dwight L. Moody is still having an impact on the world. Started Bible colleges and changed things. Because one man just decided, praise God, I'm going to put God first. You know, we've got enough people in here. There was 120 people in the upper room, and they changed the world. In 30 years' time, the known world was evangelized. In 30 years. Carthage was the second largest city in the world in Africa. And in 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, it was predominantly, the majority of it was Christian. And God had just done awesome things because people got on fire with God and they went out and they took the word. They didn't have the benefits of television and radio and books and tapes and all of these kind of things, but they had the benefit of a word from God and they believed it and they changed the world. The same thing would happen today and this is what we're looking for. We're like the Marines. We're looking for a few good men and women amen, who want to put God first and change the world. Some people think that's such a big task, it's not even worth trying. Well, you just change your world. You change the world that you live in, and then God takes that, and who knows where these ripples will go and what will happen. But God wants to do some awesome things in your life. Let's turn over to 1 Kings chapter 17, and I want to share some things with you out of the life of Elijah and just show you. Use this to illustrate some of the things that we're talking about. And the purpose of this is to encourage you what God can do with you. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years, but according to my word. If you don't know the history of this, the nation of Israel, this is about, I don't know, five or six hundred years after they had come out of the land of Egypt. It was uh, hundreds of years after they had already been a kingdom and started having kings rule over them. And they had fallen progressively away from the Lord. And the northern ten tribes of Israel uh, went into apostasy very quickly. Matter of fact, the very first king, Jeroboam, over the northern ten tribes made these idols and had people worship them. And the northern ten tribes, the two southern tribes, were called the tribe, uh, the uh, nation of uh, Judah. The northern ten tribes were called Israel, and uh, the Israel, the Israelis, the northern tribes, went into apostasy very quickly. And Ahab was the worst king that they had ever had up until this time. His wife Jezebel was literally a witch. And she hated God, and she had 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of the groves that she fed at her table every day. In other words, it was a government-sponsored paganism, and they had outlawed the worship of the God of Israel that had established that nation and brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they had literally been killing all of the prophets of the Lord and tried to do away with them. So anyway, that's the background. This was a total apostate 
uh, situation and Ahab and Jezebel, there's a lot of other things. I could spend a lot of time, but they were just bad, bad people. Hated God. They had uh, uh, outlawed the worship of God. And here comes Elijah in this situation and walks right up to the king and says, Thus saith the Lord. Did you know that that could have cost him his life? Today, we talk about the persecution, the things that are happening in the United States. And, you know, I've, uh, in England, I got uh, some problems because I said some things about abortion and about uh, homosexuality. And, man, Ofcom, the government agency there, caused problems. And, you know, we've had our programs uh, edited and restricted. In England, you can't use the word spank. I'd say something about spanking your children and they bleep it out as if it's profanity. And they have all of these restrictions, and it's trying to come this way. This, uh, what do they call it, the fairness doctrine is trying to do the same thing. But anyway, those things are already happening in a lot of places around the world, and we think that's bad. Boy, that's nothing compared to what Ahab had done. He was killing the prophets of the Lord. It was life-threatening to do, some, to do what Elijah did. And you've got to understand this to get the real context and to understand what Elijah was doing. Elijah walked right up to this king that had been killing any servant of God, had outlawed the worship of the true God and was putting anybody to death who had claimed to be a servant of God. And he comes up and says, Thus saith the Lord. If you don't understand that, you don't get the full impact of what he's doing. But I mean, he just with boldness... He walked right up to the king and he says, there isn't going to be dew or rain in this nation until I say so. Some people look at that as arrogance. But you know what that was? That was a man who heard from God. God spoke to him. God told him that he was going to bring a drought on the land and bring that nation to its knees and then he was going to show them that he was God and that he was going to send rain, and it was going to be God who did it, and it would turn the people to the Lord. And Elijah had a word from God. One of the things that encourages me about this verse is this is the very first mention of Elijah in Scripture. There's no background on him. It doesn't say anything. It just says he was a Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. It basically told you the region, region that he came from, but he didn't come from a long line of preachers. He hadn't done anything spectacular. There is no indication that he had any connections with Ahab. But he had a word from God and he believed in the power of God's word. And because of this, this man went to the strongest man in the nation and proclaimed, Thus saith the Lord. Did you know that most people don't put that kind of authority on the word of God? They don't believe that the word of God is that powerful. For instance, let me just bring it down to where we are. Did you know if you're born again, you have a word from God? You have a revelation about God that the vast majority of people don't have. Your opinion of God is better than their opinion of God. And in our politically correct world today, you know, we are told that there are no absolutes and how dare you say that you're right and somebody else is wrong. According to the Bible, there is a heaven and a hell, and only people who have made Jesus their Lord are going to heaven. People who haven't are going to hell. And your opinion of God has gotten you born again, and you are changed. So therefore, your revelation of God is better than an unbeliever's revelation of God. And yet most people don't really feel boldness with this. When we get into a situation where the unbelievers are talking and talking about something that completely con 
contradicts everything that the Bible teaches, most Christians are timid and shy because they don't believe in the power of the Word. And yet, if we would just stand up and speak the Word, you know what? It'd change people. I remember when Jamie and I got kicked out of the Baptist church. We weren't totally kicked out. We were told to leave. And anyway, we were just about kicked out. But we stood up and we stood for the Word of God and because of it, we're told that all of this stuff is of the devil and it doesn't happen. And you know what? Uh, We left and it looked like that nobody received anything. And then 20-something years later, I had a woman come up at one of my meetings and she says, do you remember me? And I vaguely remembered her. She went to that same Baptist church. And I said, how did you get here? I said, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you speak in tongues? And she said, yeah. And I said, how did you ever get the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that Baptist church? And she says, when you left, she says, I started asking, why did Andrew leave? And when they said it's because he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, she said right then, if that's what you had, that's what I wanted. And she says, I received it within just a few months of you leaving the church. And you know what? When I stood up and and made it known what I believe, we were persecuted and there were some things that happened, but it touched people. The Word of God, if we would just stand up with the Word of God and when you're at work and stuff and people are saying all of these things that are so totally wrong... We've got words from God. You've got revelation from God that if we really just believed in it and stood and spoke it, miracles would happen. But you know, the truth is most Christians are, I, I could say timid, that would be kind. Most, most Christians are actually fearful. Most Christians are ashamed. We're afraid that if we stand up and say, well, the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. Somebody's going to go, you're a, you're a homophobe. You're a hate monger. Man, I'm not, I don't hate homosexuals. I love homosexuals. I've ministered to homosexuals. I've got some friends that are homosexuals. And, but you know what? I tell them it's wrong. It's not right. And I'm not, it's not hate-mongering to say that this is a destructive lifestyle. The, the, the uh, suicide rate among homosexuals, I forget now, but it's, what, 300%? 300 times the normal population? If it was anything... Besides this, if there was some drink that you could drink that caused people to commit suicide three times as much as any other segment of society, I guarantee you they'd take action on it, they'd ban it, they'd do something. But because this is a moral issue, we can't say anything about a person's choices and lifestyle. And they've been told that, you know, this is something that they can't control. They are made this way. And if you stand up and say the truth, people are going to come out against you and Christians are afraid. And because we aren't speaking the word is the reason that the world is going the direction it's going. is because we aren't speaking the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. Elijah had a word from God. And it wouldn't have done any good if he would have stayed in his house and have prayed and said, Oh God, I'm believing that there is coming a drought. And so he prayed and acted on the word and believed God for this drought. And at the end of the three and a half years, then he was going to speak and cause the rain to start coming. Did you know if that's the way that this would have happened, Ahab would have looked at this as, Well, it's coincidence. You know, it wasn't God. This wasn't divine. It just is a cycle that we go through. And and regardless how bad the drought would have been, he would have looked at it as just being natural. But Elijah went to him and proclaimed when they were still in a, a time of prosperity and the rains were coming. Elijah went up and said, Thus saith the Lord, there's not going to be rain or dew until I say so. And then when it came to pass, there was no doubt about why this had happened because he had spoken the word of God.
We want to see the power of God demonstrate. We want to see somebody healed and then we jump up and say, I prayed for that. That's not how it happens. You have to stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed when nothing has happened. You have to take a step of faith. And then the, the Scripture says that signs and wonders follow you. We're praying, oh God, pour out your power and do signs and wonders and miracles. And then when we happen, we want to jump up and say, I prayed for that. I'm part of this. No, you have to step out and you have to start speaking the word and proclaiming that you know what, when God, God has told me that this is the truth, this is the way that it is, I lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And you get up and start speaking it. But most people are afraid. What would happen if it doesn't happen? And we're shamed and we're bashful. I'm telling you, we've got to understand how powerful the Word is. And you've got to understand that the revelation of the goodness of God, that God is not the one who's causing problems, this is what's going to set people free. But it won't set anybody free if somebody isn't saying it. Somebody's got to speak the truth. Somebody's not got to be afraid to tell people that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong, things that are destructive and things that bless your life. We've got to tell them about the goodness of God. We've got to stand up and counter the religion of our day that is saying God is the one who is uh, causing all of these problems. God's the one who's causing people to suffer and doing all of these things. We've got to stand up and speak the word. And if you don't speak the word, God's power is not going to be released. This is so simple. You have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand what I'm saying. And yet, the majority of people are bashful and ashamed of the Word of God. You know, I was driving home last night, and uh, I was thinking about this because it was snowing, and it was uh, hard visibility, and I live way up in the mountains, and I, ha I went up this mountain road, and right as I passed this Rocky Mountain Christian Center, I don't remember exactly, but it was 15, 20 years ago or something, I was driving home on that same road, and there was a real thick fog, and you couldn't see further than from here to the back of this room. And a guy went around me at 60 miles an hour just as if nothing happened and just zoomed around me. And he got about that far ahead of me. And all of a sudden I saw his brake lights come on and then his car jerked. I could tell that he hit something and he stopped in the middle of the road. So I slammed on my brakes and I stopped right next to him. And he had hit this horse that was out on the road. It hit right in the driver's side, hit the rear of this horse, and ca it crashed in the driver's side window, and this horse just unloaded everything he had right in this guy's face. He was just sitting in a whole pile of horse poop. And he was bleeding anyway. I went over there, and this horse was, it had been hit in the rear, and it, and it flung around, and it was laying in the other lane. So he was blocking one lane, and then the other lane was blocked by this horse. And as I was standing there trying to assess the situation, a Suburban came around the corner about 56 miles an hour and hit this horse. And this horse was trying to get its head up, but it couldn't move. And it just decapitated this horse. We never did find the head or the neck of this horse. It was just gone. And this Suburban went in the air about, I don't know, 5 or 10 feet in the air and 20 or 30 feet like this. And the woman swerved all around. I went up there and she had knocked a hole in the top of that suburban with her head. And I mean, it was a dangerous situation. And it was foggy. You couldn't see anything. It was right on a curve and it was pitch dark. And you know what I did? I went down the road and I started jumping out in front of cars. 
and waving them down, trying to get them to stop. And boy, I jumped right out in front of cars because it was so dark. You couldn't see very far, and cars were going 50 and 60 miles an hour. And I mean, cars were swerving and hitting their brakes, and some of them sliding to the side of the road, and people were mad at me. Some of them stopped and were saying some choice words to me and doing things. And people, you know, people were offended that I would do that until they got around the corner and saw the wreck. And it was probably 30 minutes before the police showed up. There's no telling. There could have been hundreds of people that would have been killed. But you know, if you really care about people, what are you going to do? Say, well, I wouldn't jump out in front of a car because somebody might think I was trying to stop them or attack them. And, oh, they might think bad of me and I might cause them some, some discomfort. You know, that's just absolutely selfish. If, you have, if there's a bridge out, man, you're going to jump out in front of a car and do whatever you can to stop them. People are headed towards an eternity that's lost. Satan is destroying people and we, the body of Christ, have a word from God. But the difference is we aren't boldly proclaiming it. Elijah changed the nation. I'm going to share some things with you that are awesome results. Everybody would love to have Elijah's results. But nobody wants to stand up when potentially this king could kill you. And you're going to proclaim something that there's no way of proving that what you've said is absolute right then. It's going to take three years before you see whether what he said came to pass or not. And we could look bad, and so because of it, we're fearful, we're timid, we will not stand up and tell people the truth. I guarantee you, people could have thought, well, how dare Elijah prophesy a drought? Think of all the people that could be hurt. But it was the Word of God. And he stood up and boldly proclaimed it in front of the king. And I believe his boldness, his audacity. Here was this king that had been killing the prophets of the Lord. And God, nothing happened to him. I believe he just overwhelmed people. His boldness. He was so authoritative that the favor and the power of God was on him and nothing happened to him. And he proclaimed this to the king. And here's a, this is a great truth. That you know, God gave him this one word, what he was supposed to say. And then in verse 2 it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. His life was in danger when he went before the king and proclaimed this. But the Lord didn't tell him, Now you go proclaim this, and I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. You go hide by the brook Cherith and I'm going to supernaturally sustain you with bread and water and all of these things through the drought. The Lord didn't tell him step two or step three and how this was going to work out. He just told him step one. He told him to go say and he didn't say that he was going to be preserved. I guess he could have uh, anticipated that God was going to preserve him because he said that it's not going to rain until I say so and if he was going to be dead, it never would have rained, amen. And so he might have taken from what God told him that this is going to have some happy ending and he would live through it. But you know what? There wasn't any guarantees. The Lord didn't give him step number two until he had completed step number one. Now this is a great revelation. There are people that are wanting God to lead them. And, oh, God, what do you want me to do? And God tells you to do something. But then you start saying, but God, if I do that, well, then what's going to happen here? And how is this going to happen? And what about this? And what about this? And you know what? God is not going to tell you step two through ten until you do step one. Amen. Amen. 
All it would do is make you more responsible, more accountable. Why would he tell you all of the other things he wants you to do if you aren't obeying the first thing that he told you to do? The things of God come step by step by step. It says in Mark chapter 4, this is one of my first teachings that I do in the Bible college, that there is first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. God's will is the good, and then the acceptable, and then the perfect will of God. God shows you step by step by step. He doesn't just give you an entire lifetime of what you're going to do. He may show you some, something that you can kind of figure that you're going to be doing something the rest of your life. But the details, how to accomplish it, He shows you step by step by step because He wants you to follow Him. He wants it to be a relationship. He doesn't just wind you up and get you all fired up and then you spend 40 years doing it your own way and on your own. He wants you to be in relationship with Him. So He'll tell you just enough, step by step by step. And you just follow that. And I couldn't tell you how many people God has spoken to and has given them a vision of something that He wants them to do. But then they try and figure out, all right, if I do this, well, then what about all of these other things? And you're trying to figure out everything and you just aren't obeying what God told you to do. If you really want to see the will of God come to pass in your life, do what God is showing you right now. Take what God has put in your heart and act on it, and let the chips fall where they may. Don't worry about all of the other things. I can tell you this, God is a good God, and God's plans for your life are good. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God loves you, and His thoughts for you are good. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. I can guarantee you that. Absolutely. God is not a bad God. He's a good God. His thoughts are peace. And if the Lord is leading you to do something, it may look like a train wreck. It may look like, God, this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen. I'm sure that Elijah could have thought, but I'm going to go talk to this man who's been killing every prophet of God and has outlawed the worship of God, and I'm going to tell him, Thus saith the Lord. He could have with his mind anticipated all of these negative things and he could have thought about that. But you know what? He had a word from God and he did what God told him to do. And then God supernaturally sent him to this brook Cherith and had ravens bring him bread and flesh every morning and evening and supernaturally sustained him. Later in this chapter, he goes to the widow of Zarephath and he multiplies her food, sees her uh, son raised from the dead. The very first time a person was raised from the dead in the Bible's right here in First. Kings chapter 17. Elijah saw all of these wonderful things happen. In the 18th chapter, we're going to talk about how he called fire down out of heaven and literally consumed the sacrifice and the entire nation turned to God. One of the greatest revivals in the history of the Bible and it all happened because a man heard from God and went out and he didn't know all of these other things. He didn't know everything else that was going to happen, but he just had a word from God and he spoke it. And then in verse 2 it says, After that, the word of the Lord came to him about how he would provide for him and how he would sustain him and how he would keep him from being killed by the king. Boy, that is powerful. That is powerful. If you would just act on what you know, if you would just take what you know and use it, you don't have to have the whole thing figured out. 
You know, when Jamie and I got started in ministry, God called us to ministry. We just started taking the truths that we had. I knew that God wanted me to share. And, and we have just taken step by step by step by step. I bet you the first 10 or 15 years that we were in ministry, if most of you would have looked at us, you would have thought, well, I don't think they're called to ministry. There wasn't any fruit. People stayed away from my meetings by the thousands. We struggled. We had a lot of things. But you know what? We were doing what we knew to do. And just step by step by step by step, God has blessed us. And I really believe that now we have an opportunity. We are, and it's going to increase. We have an opportunity to literally change the world. You know, right here, we had our media buyer come up, I think it was a year ago or a year and a half ago, and she said that we now have 2.2 billion people that can watch my program on a daily basis around the world. And you know how that happened? By us starting little Bible studies and just taking the things that we had and doing what we knew to do. And you start doing this, and you do this, and you just take steps, and little by little by little, God increases it, and you touch people's lives, and we are seeing people changed all around the world. And, but God just shows you one step at a time. If we would have thought back then, but God, if we quit our job, which at the time I had a job, and I was making money, and, and we, we were doing good. I was raised in a middle-class family. I never had any financial problems until I got in the ministry. And if I would have thought about God, if I obey you and if I start doing this, well, then how am I going to provide for my family? And, what are, and if I'd have thought about all of these things... You know, Wendell talked about this today, that he, he took... When he started in this church, he took one-fifth the salary that he was getting when he was working for Mrs. Baird's Bread. One-fifth the income, but he just, that's what God told him to do. And man, here he is 150 years later and <laughs> he's preaching the gospel and people's lives are being changed and he's traveling the world and you know what? God's been faithful. <laughs> but see, you just get, you just take one step at a time. You know, I had this young guy come to us one time and, and uh, he came and he came into my office. He was from Chicago and he started and he says, God told me to come to school. I know God spoke to me, but he says, when I told my parents that, he was about, I'm not sure, but maybe 20 years old or something. He was living at home. He was working in a family business and he was being groomed to take over the business. So he was involved with them. He was really involved in the church. When he told his parents, his parents started telling him that you can't do this. And they, they just really poured water on the whole thing. And then they took him to the pastor and had him talk to the pastor. And when he told the pastor he was coming to Andrew Womack's Bible college, the pastor says, that guy's a cult. He's of the devil. And he started telling him all these bad things. And then his family said, we're going to cut you out. You aren't going to have any. We aren't going to keep the business for you. And just this and that. He had a girlfriend that he was possibly going to marry, and she didn't want him to go. And it was she's going to break it off if he came. And so he came and sat in my office and started telling me all of these things. But he started it by saying, God told me to come. I know God told me. But then he told me all of these other things. And he went on for 15 or 20 minutes and described all of the problems and stuff. And he says, so what should I do? And I said, you lost me within the first sentence when you said God told me to come. I said, if God told you to do it, then do it. 
And he says, but what about my parents? And I said, you know what? You're supposed to leave your father and mother and cleave unto your wife. And you're also supposed to put God above your parents. I said, I'm not saying that you dishonor them, but you've got to do what God tells you to do. Well, what about this girl? And I said, you know, if any man loves father or mother or brother or sister, or wife, children, lands, more than he loves me, he's not fit for the kingdom. And everything he asked, I just basically came back and said, look, if God told you to do it, then you just do it. And don't worry about anything else. And I couldn't tell you how many people have come to me and over the years they say, God says this but, and then they start listening to all this other stuff. If God has spoken to you, you just do it. If it hair lips every devil in hell, you just do it. Amen. I don't care if it causes major problems, just do it. If God told you to do something, do it. What a tremendous privilege that God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth and the universe, He's got a universe to run. Millions of people are talking to Him and praying and asking for help and, Oh, God, speak to me. And God speaks to you and tells you to do something and you're going to debate whether or not you do it. Seriously, something's wrong with that attitude. If God tells you to do it, you just do it. Again, Jamie and I, I couldn't tell you how many things we've done that it just defies logic. Moving into this building defied logic. And yet I knew it was what God told us to do. And we did it, and now it's, what, six years later? It's worked out, and we're already out of this and looking at the next one. And you know what? If God tells you to do it, you just do it. The only thing you've got to do is just make sure, is this God speaking to me? And of course, this morning, Delron, Wendell, and I, we all ministered about how do you know if it's God speaking to you? But if God is speaking to you, then let God take care of the details. Now, you might say, all right, God, I am going to do it. But do you want me to do it right now? (laughs) You know, you can sit there and get some clarification. But whether or not you do what God tells you to do, it just, it's outside of my realm. I don't think that way. Once I know God tells me to do something, praise God, I'll do it. And I, it is proven to be true. God has blessed me. Things are working. And I tell you, you've got, to, you've got to be obedient to what God told you. God told Elijah to go speak and tell Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. And he didn't have a single promise of protection. He didn't have a promise of provision. He didn't have anything until he acted and fulfilled the first thing God told him to do. And then afterwards, God came to him and said, Now go to the brook Cherith. And look at this. This is, this is something that just went off in my heart. In verse 4, he says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God did not send Elijah's provision to where he was. He sent Elijah's provision to where he told him to go. It's like in football. The quarterback doesn't throw the football to where the receiver is. He throws the football to where the receiver's going. You have to lead them. And you know what? If Elijah, it says in the next verse, in verse 5, so he went and did. If Elijah hadn't went and did, if he hadn't have obeyed and done what God told him to do, then I believe that God still would have been faithful, but the provision would have been at the brook tree earth. For instance, you know, I don't know how long that brook is. I've looked at it on a map, 
And I don't, I don't know, but it's over 10 miles, 10, 15 miles long or something like that. How did Elijah know the exact spot that he was supposed to go to get this provision? Well, he says, I have, that means it's already done. He had already spoken to the ravens to start bringing bread and flesh. And at this time, the ravens, of course, could move faster, fly faster than Elijah could run or walk. And so they were already on the way. You know how he knew the right places because when he went to the brook Cherith and started walking along, he found the ravens and the bread and the flesh were already there. But they were there where he told him to go. If Elijah would have stayed here, even though he had been faithful to take the first step, and if he had delivered the word that God gave him and had been bold, but then if he would have stayed where he was, he could have starved and died of thirst by his own word that he pronounced out of his mouth. He had to obey God and go there. The provision was there, not here. God didn't send it here. He sent it there. The Lord speaks to people about coming to school and they say, oh, but God, how are you going to provide? And they want God to make all of the provision. They want to have the house. They want to have the car. They want to have the job. They want to have everything lined out and they're still over in wherever you came from and you're waiting on the provision to come and then you're going to go. The provision is here if this is where God told you to go. The provision is here. When you obey God and step out, that's where your provision is. It won't work where you are. Man, that is powerful. That is super powerful. You know, in our classes, I usually teach on um, finances in chapel. And at the end of two years, I usually ask, how many of you are better off financially than when you came to school? And think about this. A lot of people came from a place where the cost of living was less than it is here, so your expenses increase, plus you have the expense of your uh, tuition, plus you have left maybe a good-paying job and you're having to start over, you're having to work a part-time job to be able to get by and do all these things. There's all of these things working against you prospering, and yet it's not uncommon to have over 70, 80, or more percent of the entire student body better off after going to school, working part-time jobs, paying tuition after two years than they were when they came. Because they get the revelation on giving and they're, they're doing what God told them to do. And there is a supernatural provision where God tells you to go. There's a supernatural protection on you when you're doing what God tells you to do. You know, right after 9-11, one of our biggest givers, a good friend of mine, called and his daughter was on, a way, on her way to Afghanistan. And she was doing a medical missionary thing in Afghanistan. And this is the week after the September the 11th um, attacks. And I mean, the whole world was in turmoil and people were wondering about what's happening. And uh, he was just petrified that his daughter was going to Afghanistan. And he, so he got her to call me and he had her on the phone. And he says, tell her not to go to Afghanistan, that this is crazy to be going there after these attacks. And so I asked her some questions and it was no doubt that God told her to do it. This is something she'd been dreaming of. It was God that set it up. And here's one of our biggest contributors. This guy gave, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 more thousand dollars per year to our ministry. And you know what? I told him, I said, man, she needs to go to Afghanistan. 
And he was just, how could you say that? And I said, because that's what God told her to do. And she will be safer in the will of God, obeying God, than she would out of the will of God. I said, if that's what God told her to do, you just do what God told you to do. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. And you can contrast that with one of our very first graduates of the school. We have to go on a missions trip uh, to graduate. And the very end of school, we took our first class over to Dublin, Ireland. And we had some of the greatest meetings I've ever had in my life. The closest thing I've ever seen to a supernatural outpouring of the presence of God. It was awesome. But anyway, one of our students, his wife, her wife, let's see, how do you say this? Her husband would not let her go on the trip because he was afraid of her flying. And so he wouldn't let her go on that trip. So she stayed here and she was hit by a car head on and killed here when her place was there. If she would have done what God told her to do, you know what, she still would have been alive today. You, you, the safest place you can be, the place of the most blessing, the place of the most joy is doing what God tells you to do. There's some people that think, oh, but if I obey God, He's going to send me to Africa and I'm going to have to live in a grass hut. You know, a friend of ours uh, grew up in Africa and he says, what's wrong with a grass hut? We had the nicest grass hut in the entire village. Amen. And just like this Leland Shore, and I, I could name the people that have gone to Russia, the people that have gone to India. I just listened to some of the teachings, a, a message by our missionaries that are in India. And this girl from Sweden who came to this school got married, and her and her husband and father-in-law have moved to India, and they're running our Bible college over there. I just listened to her preaching. She is so happy. This is the greatest time of her life, and she's in India in a, you know, a... a third world country in a tough situation and just loving it, talking about how wonderful it is. If You know, somebody's got to go to Africa, to India, to these far-flung places of the earth, and if God wants you to go, you'll love it. There, that'll be your place there. That'll be where the provision is. That'll be where the joy is. This good friend of ours, Bobby Crow, that uh, has a church in Ciudad Victoria, Mexico. He's been down there for over 20 years and I've heard him say often that he is so thankful that God put him down there and he was able to raise his kids in Mexico and avoid all of the corruption that's in the American culture and all of this kind of stuff. And he just loves it. And he's blessed. I'm telling you, people have this thought that if I just run up a white flag and God, I'll do anything and go whatever, just watch your will and do it. And if you don't put your two cents in and lean under your own understanding and uh, follow your own instincts, then God is just going to abuse you or do, do something bad to you. It's not like that. God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. And I really recommend that you just do whatever God's telling you to do. And some of you think, well, I don't have a word from God. Yeah, you do. Are you born again? you got a word from God. You've heard the truth. You know that Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life. And your opinion about God is better than an unbeliever's opinion about God. And you ought to quit being apologetic. And you ought to start telling people that Muhammad is not the way. That Buddha is not the way. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you've got a word, you just aren't speaking it. If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you understand about the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a revelation that even a lot of Christians don't have. 
And you've got a word from God that would literally set people free and you just got to quit being ashamed of it and quit being bashful and stand up and speak the truth and tell people about how powerful this gift of speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. If you understand that God is a good God and He's not the one that's putting sickness on you and that God wants you well, if you understand that God loves us in spite of what we do, it's not based on our own goodness. Just some of these foundational things. The vast majority of people do not understand this. And one of the things that happens in our Bible school, and I mean this happens over and over and over, people sit in these classes and they hear us teach these profound truths of the Word of God and you hear them so often after a while it becomes commonplace. And you don't really understand how important and how powerful it is. And then you go on one of these trips and you go to some place and you just say these little simple things that you've heard. And people start being saved and healed and delivered. Miracles happen. And you realize how important it is. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we have a word from God. But most of us just aren't doing anything with it. We're wanting an entire book instead of a word. You just need to take the word that you've got and realize that the world is starving for these things. It's the truth that sets people free. It's not your personality. It's not your charisma. It's not anything else. Man, you get the Word of God and it'll change you. When the Lord first touched my life, I had this miraculous encounter with the Lord and I just intuitively knew that God was awesome, that God could heal. Even though I'd been taught that healing passed away with the apostles, I just knew instantly after I'd encountered God, I knew that wasn't God. I knew that God was a good God and He wouldn't withhold His power and... So I started seeing all of these things, but how did I get how could I get from where I was to where I saw that we could start seeing these miracles and seeing people's lives change? It looked like there was such a huge distance between me and there that honestly for a period of time it overwhelmed me. And I remember one night praying in my bedroom, this is before Jamie and I was married, I was still living at home, and I was, I was praying and I was kneeling around my bed and just, God, what do I do? How do I get from here to there? How do I see your power displayed the way that I've seen it in my heart? How do we do these things? And I remember I opened up my eyes and I had my Bible on my bed. And I heard the Lord speak to me. He says, just stick your nose in this book. You study it and it'll teach you everything you need to know. And you know, for 42 years, this has been basically my whole focus. We just went on a vacation. Some people said, what'd you do on your vacation? Nothing. I'm busy all of the time. A vacation wouldn't be a vacation for Jamie and me if we went somewhere and did stuff because that's what I do all of the time. You know what I did? I sat on the balcony and got about three or four months worth of Bible study in in two weeks. That's vacation. I loved it. And this is, this is still what I'm doing. I'm just seeking the Lord and studying the Word and the Word of God will change you. The Word of God will give you every instruction you need, but you've got to be obedient that when God places something in your heart, you do it. And don't wait until you can do it when there's no chance that you're going to fail, when there's no chance that there's going to be any problem. There would be no faith involved in that. The Lord says, without faith, it's impossible to please me. The Lord is never going to hang you out to dry. The Lord is never going to hurt you, but He really, really, really desires for you to operate in faith. The Lord will tell you to do things that to your natural mind looks like it's the end. He told Moses, throw down your rod. And it turned into a snake. 
And Moses fled. He was out of there. And God said, pick it up by the tail. You know what? That's not smart. If you're going to pick up a snake, you don't pick it up by the tail where it can turn and bite you. You pick it up right behind its jaws so that as its body turns, it can't turn and bite you. For him to pick up that snake by the tail, he didn't have the benefit of knowing what Exodus 4.4 said yet. He hadn't written it. He didn't know that that was going to turn back into a rod. From his standpoint, pick it up by the tail, I'm going to die. But you know what? He had been saying, God, I'll do anything. He had spent 40 years in, in BU, Bush University, <laughs> learning, God, I'll do it your way this time. I'll do anything. And this was his final exam. Pick it up by the tail. And to his credit, he picked it up by the tail, not knowing that it was going to turn back into a rod. But you know, when he picked it up, it says in the 20th verse of that Exodus chapter 4, that he took his wife and his children and set them upon an ass and he took the rod of God in his hand and went down to Mo, uh, Egypt. Prior to him doing this, this was Moses' stick. But when he threw it down, it turned into a serpent and he picked it up by the tail, meaning I'm not in control anymore. You're in control. He threw his life down and God gave it back. If you would have looked at that stick after all of this, and if you would have had a scientist look at it, they could have taken a little chip of it and analyzed it, and it still would have been a stick made out of the same type of wood. To other people, it was still the same stick. But you know, now it was different. It wasn't Moses' stick. It was God's stick. And he held it out over the Red Sea, and it parted. He held it up to the sky, and fire came out of a clear sky, and hail, and fire ran along upon the ground, and he called Lice up out, and he defeated the mightiest nation on the face of the earth because of something that he laid down and took up by the tail and he was no longer in control. God, I'll do what you want me to do, even if it kills me. God wasn't going to kill him, but it looked that way. It looks like that, God, if I make a decision and I turn my life over and you tell me to do something, God, this will be the destruction of everything I've ever dreamed and hoped of. But again, God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. I can promise you, you will like it better. You know, when the Lord called me into the ministry, it's a long story, but the short version of this is that I had a good-paying job for a guy that had quit school. It looked like I had guaranteed a retirement, a position in the Arlington public school system that would have given me security, and I had a lot of things going. It was a great opportunity but they wanted a five-year commitment from me. And I said, nope, God's calling me into the ministry. And it looked like this is crazy. It's going to kill you. But you know what? Now I look back and praise God that I'm not editing film in the Arlington public school system. What God has done with my life is infinitely better than that job. But you know, at the time, it was better than anything else I'd ever had. It looked pretty good, but praise God what I'm doing now. David left Sears and was in a great position and had security and all of these things. And yet David has said, man, this is what God's made him for. He used all those 37 years in management at Sears. God was training him so he could do what he's doing. And he loves what he's doing here. And he's affecting people's lives all over the world. I promise you, if you obey God, God's not going to hurt you. It'll look that way sometimes. It'll look like 
that my career, what about this? What about all of my dreams? What about all of these things? But I can promise you, I promise you this, with no reservations, there's no deception on my part. If you sell out to God and follow God, there's not a one of you that will ever come to me and say, I'm sorry I followed God. God ruined my life. It's not that way. I've had a number of people today come to me that are already students here saying that this is the best thing that ever happened. They are just so thrilled about it. It's changed their life. They said this is the greatest time of my life. And these are people that had successful businesses, had families. Their whole life was set in front of them. Everything was fine. They came here some with fear and trembling. And yet, just in a short period of time, it's already the best thing. And they hadn't even completed the step one yet. They're still in process, and they're already enjoying it. I'm promising you, brothers and sisters, this is the way that God changes an individual and then changes a nation. He gives somebody His Word. He speaks something to you. And if God speaks something to you, then you just do it. And don't let your mind get in the way trying to figure out how am I going to do it? How is this going to come to pass? Just obey God. You know, I told someone today, they said, but what about this? And and how do I know whether I should do this or that? And I said, it's like a rudder on a ship. You can flip a rudder 360 degrees. If the ship is sitting still, it won't give any direction to that ship. But if that ship starts moving, even if it moves slowly, then that rudder can begin to start steering you and making things happen. And there's a lot of people that are saying, Oh, God, show me what to do. But you aren't doing anything. God can't bear witness that you go to the right or to the left. He can't direct you because you're sitting still. You've got to move. I was telling one lady here today that for 10 years felt like she's supposed to do something, and yet she hasn't got step two and three. And, and I was saying that you've got to do something. If you feel that you're supposed to be Uh, ultimately in this direction, then take a step in that direction. What if it's wrong? Well, you know what? The rudder will start showing you once you start moving and he can direct you and he can move you and help you correct. You don't do everything perfectly. Jamie and I certainly haven't done everything perfectly, but you know what? We're at a great time in our life and we're impacting people and things are working, but we haven't done it perfectly. I don't think anybody just goes straight for the will of God and never makes a mistake. It's more like this. That's the way you get there. Amen. But you've got to start moving. You've got to do something. Is God speaking to you and telling you to take a step and step out, get out of the boat and walk on the water? Well, then take that first step. Do what God has told you. And don't wait on step number 2, 10, 20. Just do what God tells you to do. And then He'll show you the next step. It's like walking in the dark with a lantern. You know what? That lantern just illuminates a short space in front of you. And then as you take a step, well, then that lantern will show you the next step. And every step that you take, it'll show you a next step and a next step. But why would God show you step number 10 if you haven't fulfilled step number 1? All it'll do is confuse you. All it'll do is make you responsible for, for having more instruction and not doing it. God's just going to show you things one step at a time. And boy, this example of Elijah to me is powerful because he didn't, he didn't have an inroad with the king. He didn't have a pedigree. He didn't have a history. There wasn't anything going, but he had a word from God. And because of that word, he walked up and boldly proclaimed it and it set things in motion 
and millions and millions of people in the nation of Israel turned to God. He became the strongest man in the nation. The king came and sought his favor. And he, in the 18th chapter, started telling the king, you assemble all of the prophets of Baal and you get everybody together and you do what I tell you. And the king said, yes, sir. And he was running the nation. This man in 2 Kings chapter 1, Ahab's son came to take him. And they said, oh, thou man of God, come down. And he said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And the fire of God fell and wiped out all of these people trying to kill him. Everybody would love that. He got caught up in the second chapter of 2 Kings and taken up by a whirlwind into heaven and never died. He, he was one of only two people in the Bible that never died, that were just caught up into the presence of God. Powerful. How did it all start? He got a word from God and just acted on it and then acted on that and acted on the next one and just step by step by step and followed God and awesome things happened. Do you know what? You have the potential of being a mighty man or woman of God. God's not concerned about the color of your skin, how old you are, what you look like, how polished you are. God's not concerned about any of that. You know what God looks at? He looks at your heart. And if you're willing and obedient, you can eat the good of the land. The eyes of the Lord are here looking and saying, is there anybody that will put me first, that will let me put my word in his heart? And then you'll stand up and start speaking it. And you know what? You'll first of all change the world that you live in. You'll change your family. You'll change your work environment. And then, depending on what God's will for your life is, man, He could send you someplace. I was talking to this man from Columbia here tonight. He was interviewed by our television department, and he says, I want to do what you're doing and take this gospel to Columbia. they got all this religion. We need the Word. And I said, man, that might be exactly what God wants. But you know what? You've got to get the right message first. You first of all just have to take the first step. Man, wouldn't it be great if he goes out and starts, man, just blitzing Columbia with the gospel. And who knows what God has for you. This brother right here from Enid, Oklahoma says, you need to come to Enid, Oklahoma, and he has this great vision. And I said, well, if God gave you the vision, you do it. <laughs> so that's the reason he's here. He's checking it out. And I, you know what? Praise God. Some of you are praying, oh, we need something like this in Pennsylvania or wherever you're from. Well, if you're the one who's got the burden, you do it. Come get the Word of God. Get the right message. Get fired up. We can stoke the fire. We can help you do things. And then go out and take that Word. And I guarantee you, God can subdue kingdoms and do awesome things through the Word that He's put in your heart. But it's going to come in steps and stages. If you don't obey the first step, if you don't begin, it's never going to change. People constantly are wanting change. They don't want to live their life. You don't want to be 10 years from now where you are now and you're praying for God to change. But then He starts telling you something to do and you're afraid to change. You can't see different results if you don't do something different. It's insanity to do the same thing and expect different results. If God has spoken to you about coming to school or whatever it is that God's speaking to you about, you've got to obey. And if you don't understand, well, I don't know how to do it all, well, do something. Amen. Start making preparations. Do something. 
Yeah, like the testimony we heard at lunch. One of our students was talking about how that they were waiting on their house to sell and it hadn't sold, but they just felt like, well, go get boxes and pack. Maybe you don't have a buyer for your house yet, but you could pack. You could have everything ready so that when it sells, you're gone. And you know what? They packed on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night, five-something. The realtor called back, and all of a sudden, do you still want, or not wasn't the realtor, it was a buyer, says, do you still want to sell your house? And they had the house sold, and they were gone within the week. But see, you got to do something. If you don't have the buyer for your house, well, pack. Start doing something. Put some motion to your boat. Move it so that God can start doing something. And you know what we found to be uh, the first step for those of you that are considering the school? One of the very first things is that if you feel God is stirring you, put down your registration. You know, your registration doesn't expire. If you don't make it in September, you can come next year. You can come two years, five years from now. Your registration doesn't expire, but do something. Commit yourself. Take a step. Move in some direction. We wouldn't have ever heard of Elijah if God would have spoken to him and he'd have just stayed in his closet and said, Oh, thank you for speaking to me. And he prayed and prayed for this. But if he hadn't have spoken the word, if he hadn't have acted on the word, this never would have happened. It wouldn't have been recorded. And today we'd be saying, Elijah who? And yet he was one of the mightiest men. And God saw the very first person in Scripture raised from the dead and himself was caught up into heaven and never died. Came back down and talked to Jesus about his crucifixion that was shortly going to come to pass. Man, that's awesome. And you know how it started? He heard from God. He got a word from God. And God has been speaking to many of you. That's why most of you are here, because God's already stirred you up. You've heard from God. You're just trying to figure out how to do it. I'm telling you, the very first step is just do something. Act. Coming here, for many of you, has been an action. You put motion to your boat. And already you're getting confirmation and God's bearing witness. But you just got to do something. You got to act on what God has told you to do. Faith without works is dead. And I've got a lot more to share about Elijah, but your heart can't absorb more than your seat can endure. So praise God, I'll let you go tonight. But I want to encourage you. God's got good plans for you. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro. The eyes of the Lord are here in this place. Saying, is there anybody who will just put me first, will respond to me and follow me, even if it's to the ends of the earth? Here's one person saying yes over here. Amen. Every one of us ought to be responding. Every one of us ought to be saying, God, that's what I want. And I can promise you, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. You know, Jamie used to pray when she was a kid that, God, please, don't make my life boring. I don't want to be like my parents that get up and go to work, come home and watch TV and go to bed and get up and go to work and come home and watch TV and you could plan what their life's going to be 10 years in the future. I want an adventurous life. I want an exciting life. I've reminded her of that a few times. <laughs> but you know what? Our life is not boring. It's not the same old, same old. I guarantee you, you will love what God's plans for your life are. 
If your life isn't excited, if you don't wake up in the morning just thrilled at God, what an awesome day. I am so excited about what you're doing in my life. Then you don't know what God's will for your life is. God's will for your life is exciting. It's fulfilling. The reason some of you aren't able to have the joy and the peace isn't because you don't love God and you don't study the Word and do things, but you know what? You are in a situation where God has given you a holy dissatisfaction. He doesn't want you to be where you are. He's trying to stir you up and get you to realize that there's something more. And so you're dissatisfied and you're longing. You know that there's something more. Sometimes that could just be a lust. That could be Satan that's trying to make you discontent. But God also can take away your contentment with just being the same as everybody else. Most of us don't want the same results as everybody else. We don't want to be sick. We don't want to be poor. We don't want to be depressed. And yet we don't want to do anything different than what everybody else does. It's not going to work that way. You're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to step out. And God will lead you on a journey that's unique. And in the beginning, it may terrify you before it edifies you. But in the end result, God's will for you is the best thing. This is what you were created for. And you will never reach your full potential, your full satisfaction until you do what God tells you to do. There is a satisfaction that comes by knowing you are exactly where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, that nothing in this world can compare with that. Nothing. I promise you it's true. Some of you have probably never felt that. But I tell you, there's nothing like it. Let me give you this one last story and I'll quit with this. Maybe. Maybe. But I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I speak in this guy's business. He's a partner of ours, the same one that, his, you know, the big giver and his daughter was wanting to go to Afghanistan, and I told her uh, she should go. And he got over it, and we're still good friends. And I go to his business and speak in his business every time I go to Charlotte. And anyway, uh, I spoke, and I came out after speaking to the staff, and there was a woman answering the phones, an Oriental lady, and I hadn't seen her before, and so I started talking to her and asking her what she was doing and why she wasn't back with the rest of the staff. And she says, oh, I'm the newest employee, and they left me to answer the phones while everybody else was in there listening to you. And she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a preacher. And she says, for who? And I said, Jesus. And she says, you must be the one. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, I'm a Buddhist. And she says, last night I was praying and going through all of my rituals. And she says, I knew this wasn't right. I knew Buddha wasn't the right one. I knew that this wasn't right. I knew that there's a God, but I knew that Buddha wasn't him and wasn't the way to God. And she said, I just cried out and said, God, whoever you are, reveal yourself to me. And she said, this huge ball of light just came right in front of her face and was pulsing. And she heard a voice saying, tomorrow I'll send you a man who will tell you who I am. And she says, you must be the man. And I said, I'm the man, amen. <laughs> and I told this lady, I told this lady about Jesus and she got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, when I left that place, I thought, praise God. Man, I was in the right place at the right time. God told her last night I'd be here and I felt so much satisfaction and joy and peace in knowing that God 
or ordained all of that. And I tell you, there is nothing like knowing that I'm right now doing exactly what God wants me to do, saying what God wants me to do. I recommend it. <laughs> and there are some of you that have never known that. And if you would just obey and start stepping out, you could start experiencing that. You could find these divine appointments and you'll never regret it. It beats security. It beats having a pension. God's retirement benefit is out of this world. Amen? God will take care of you. He's not a subtractor. He's a multiplier. God's not going to take from you. He will bless you. God will never let you outgive Him. You'll never sacrifice more than what He will give for you. He's already sacrificed everything for you. Man, there's just zero reason not to obey God. If God has spoken to you, just do it. Don't worry about the other results. Just act on the Word of God, and you'll never, never, ever, ever regret it. Amen? You know, tonight, if you don't know Jesus, that's the first step. I can promise you it is God's will for every single person to be born again. Not just acknowledge that He exists. The Bible says even the devils believe and tremble at the name of God. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Just believing that there is a God is not salvation. You have to commit your life to Him. And when you do, there's a change that takes place on the inside. And then after you get born again, even Jesus' disciples who were born again and had spent three and a half years with Him, He said, don't go tell anybody about my resurrection. Don't minister. Don't preach. Don't do anything until you receive the baptism, the power from on high. And then when they received it in Acts chapter 2, they spoke with other tongues. Once you get born again, you must receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, you can't effectively hear the voice of God without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how you hear. It's how, the Holy, it's how God communicates with us. You can't have boldness in just yourself. I'm not talking about a natural boldness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a supernatural, God-inspired boldness. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit, then the Pharisees said, man, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you it changes you. And every person, it is God's will for every person to be saved, born again, and baptized with the Holy Spirit. I can guarantee that. And so if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't have one or both of those, you need them. I've talked to one person here tonight who is here to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to let you go because I could stir you up. And then if you go out and try and fulfill these things without being born again, without baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's inevitable that you're going to fail. You've got to make sure you have the foundation, the right equipment. And that's being born again and baptized with the Holy Spirit. So is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those and I want to receive salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Here. Here's a few people here, couple. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's another one back there. Awesome. I know most of you here are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you need this. I've seen four hands. There may be more. You know, some people think, well, what are you going to do? We're going to pray for you. We're going to bless you. I'm going to give you a free book. Can't beat that. Some people say, do I have to join your church? I don't have a church for you to join. I'm not going to take from you. We aren't asking you for anything. We're going to give you things free. We just want to help you 
Some of you are saying, well, I, I'm not sure if, if I went up there if I'd get it. Well, I can guarantee you if you don't come up here, you won't get it. You got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. We got people here that love you. We got Bible college students here that are so full of the Word of God. They've been sitting under the Word day and night for months and they are chomping at the bits to lay their hands on somebody and minister to them. You got, you got lots of people that want to help you. And if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive here tonight. Come forward right now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Boy, you're never going to be the same. I believe you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. You know, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to be born again. Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit, so you have to receive Jesus before you can receive His gift. Is there anybody here who's not absolutely sure about whether you've received Jesus, whether you're born again? Anybody? We need to pray with you first. So are all of you here born again? You've made Jesus your Lord. Absolutely certain. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. There's so many people today that just think, well, I'm a good person. I go to church. That's not what salvation is. So if you all are already born again, then according to the Scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. And so you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. The significance of that is He wants you to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder, will He give it? That's what He created you for. He's long for this day when you would receive this power. So... God's not going to fail to give you the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke eleven thirteen says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He promised that He'd give. Some people teach that you can't have any sin in your life. You can't have any problems in your life. God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God had not got any other kind of vessel to fill. We're all in varying stages of being human and failing. And so God's not going to hold back because you got a problem. If you got a problem, if you got a sin in your life, if there's some carnal thing that you've been doing, it's not going to stop God from filling you. That's the reason He wants to give you His power. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. So don't let a feeling of, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it, but God has promised it to you and He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. So we aren't going to beg and plead. We're just going to ask one time. And then I'd like to ask, do we have some counselors here or uh, are we going to use our Bible college students? We hadn't set this up. I tell you what, some of you Bible college students, about a dozen of you, get up here and we're going to lay hands on you. And the reason I'm going to have people lay hands on you is because the scripture says through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're just going to ask one time. We aren't going to beg, we're just going to ask. And then... They're going to lay hands on you because through, through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit can be released. And then I want you to take a step of faith and start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. 
Don't wait on a supernatural feeling. Some people have a very emotional, dramatic encounter when they receive the Holy Spirit, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I spoke in tongues, I didn't feel a thing. Matter of fact, I felt so nothing that I really doubted whether this was God. I wanted it to be 100% pure God, and I was waiting on God to just take control. You know, my wife hates me to use this example, but this is exactly what I thought, that I thought it's like when you threw up, that you could put your hand over your mouth and couldn't stop it. It'd just come out. It's not like that. Speaking in tongues is exactly like me ministering tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. But if I would have said, Oh God, speak through me and don't let me say anything that's of myself. Just take my voice and use me. And then if I opened my mouth and waited on God to take my tongue and make it work, nothing would have happened. I spoke. It was me. That's why I came out in Texan. That's why I came out with my sense of humor. It was me talking. But I believe God inspired it. That's what speaking in tongues is. Speaking in tongues is you talking. Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. God inspires it, but you have to talk. And so the reason I say this, the number one thing that hinders people is they just wait on God to force them to speak. They think it's going to be like you are, are controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's not the way it is. The Scripture says that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I can start and stop praying in tongues. I could pray in tongues right now, or I can pray in English. It's not me turning the Holy Spirit on and off. He's on all of the time, but it's me that's on and off. And anytime I want to, I can speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit's always inspiring it, but I have to cooperate. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring me but I'm speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives me inspiration. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. We're going to start thanking God. And when we do that, when after we've prayed for you and you start thanking the Lord, I want you to lift your hands because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I yield. So we're going to ask, and then when you start thanking God, I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God, and then those people standing behind you, all the rest of us in here, we'll start praying in tongues so that you won't feel like we're listening. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to believe that God gave you the Holy Spirit, and you just speak in tongues with us. And I know some of you say, well, I don't know how. I've got a book I'll give you, and it'll explain this whole thing, and you can speak in tongues later. But if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. If you don't know what to say, you could try and say what you hear the person behind you say, but I can promise you, your tongue will be different than theirs. You can't say what they're saying. It'll come out different, I promise you. You can't do it. But once you start and find out that you're saying something different than what they're saying, just don't quit. Keep talking. And you'll find out it just flows out of you, and you can speak in multiple languages. And this book will help explain it to you. And this is going to make a big difference in your life. So everybody ready? You understand what we're going to do? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say this. Say, I'm a believer. And I will speak with new tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. They're already born again. Father, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is your will to fill them. You gave us the promise that you would give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we're just asking right now. We open up the doors of this temple and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into our lives. 
Holy Spirit, come and fill us right now with your power. Give us all of these gifts, the one of speaking in tongues right now. Father, we receive it. And we thank you. I lay hands on them now and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this anointing and power to flow into your life right now. We believe that this power is burning up the dross, the carnality, that the power of God is beginning to flow through us. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to speak through us now with this gift of tongues. Let's get those hands, well, all of your hands are up. Let's start thanking God. I want you to thank God that you have the Holy Spirit. You can start in English if you want to. Thank you, Father, that you gave me the Holy Spirit. Thank you that your word is true, that from this time forth I'm God-possessed. Thank you that your anointing is flowing in me right now. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. And as we worship the Lord in tongues, you join in with us. Just start speaking. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You've got to open up your mouth. You can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. Quit talking in English. And let's pray in tongues. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When a child starts talking, he doesn't make sense. But the parent knows what they're trying to say. The daddy knows he's saying, Dad, Dad. I don't care what you say. God the Father is pleased that you're communicating with Him. Every single one of these is praying in tongues. Isn't this awesome? Every one of them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. Let's just keep praying in tongues. Worship the Lord. The Bible says when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks well. You're praising God in a heavenly language. You're bypassing all of the doubt and the fear and the confusion that's in your brain. You're bypassing all of this negative and you're talking right out of your born-again spirit. Don't shake your head no. Shake it yes. Yes, 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 yes. This woman got it. She got the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Let me have your attention. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know what? You can start over again, and you can pray in tongues anytime you want to. You need to understand what's happened to you. What's happened to you is more important than you understand right now. Some people have this great emotional experience and you just instantly know that you'll just never be the same. With other people, it's a, it's a walk, it's a progress, a process. But I guarantee you, the Holy Spirit, this is the second most important thing that's ever happened to you in your life. It's where the power of God comes. And you need to understand it. So I've got a book that I want to give you. How are we going to do that? Right here. We've got um, uh, this, where do we have them? Are you going to take them somewhere? All right, so we're going to, well, if you would, I'd like you to just follow our student right here, and he's going to take you over there and give you a book. Also, if you have any questions, or if anybody's struggling with something, you can ask them, they'll pray with you. But we want you to get the book so you get the full impact. So just follow them, it'll only take a second. We'd like to give you that book. Let's praise God for these. Isn't that great? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I tell you what, she'll never be the same. Mike right here was telling me that he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at one of my meetings and just changed his life. You know, I know that there's people here, there's a couple of people I talked to who came to receive healing, and we, we need some miracles to happen tonight, but I'm just one person, and one of the things that we're doing here is to make disciples, not just converts. And we've been pouring our life into these students. And man, these students are going out and doing awesome, awesome things. You know, the people that answer our phone lines, they have seen bunches of people raised from the dead. Miracles of all kinds happen. And one of the most satisfying things to me is that I don't have to be the one that prays for everybody. These students have the same Holy Spirit, the same Word of God, and we are seeing miracles happen. So what I'd like to do is to ask enough, enough of our students to come up here that we can cover the front of this stage. And I'm going to ask you that if you need prayer for anything, to come and let one of these students pray for you. So let's get some of our Bible college students to come up here and stand across the front of the stage. This way we'll be able to pray for every single person in here. I know some of you think, oh, I want you to pray for me. I don't want anybody else. If that's your attitude, you're going to miss God because it's not me, it's God. And these students have God on the inside of them, and they can pray with you. And they, they'll see great, great, great things happen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Awesome. So if you would like prayer for anything, I want you to come up here and let one of our Bible college students lay hands on you, and we're going to start believing God for miracles, and we're going to see people healed here tonight. Amen. The rest of you, if you need to go, you're free to go. If you want to stay and pray with us, that's great. We'll stay here and pray with people, and we're going to see miracles happen. Don't forget we'll be back in the morning, and then tomorrow night, and then Friday morning will be the end of our campus days. And don't forget that we have materials over there. We also have DVDs and CDs of this morning. All three sessions this morning, all four sessions, including the praise and worship, and tonight's, they're already duplicated over there. You can pick up CDs and DVDs, and uh, don't forget to get those on your way out. God bless you. You're dismissed if you need to be. Hallelujah. Praise God. Father, we just agree that every one of these people receives what you've already provided for them. We release the supernatural power of God. And we believe that physical bodies are being healed right now. Ears are being opened. Eyes are being opened. Hearts are being healed. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and receive this. For those of you that are watching by the Internet, you know, you can receive right now. You may say, oh, I wish I was there. It's the Word. In the 8th chapter of the book of Matthew, it says He sent His Word to the centurion's servant and He was healed. Psalms 107 verse 20 says He sent His Word and healed them. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I send this healing power to you and say in the name of Jesus that God is healing you right where you are. Not only of physical things, but God's healing somebody's heart right now. Somebody's just been depressed and discouraged and the power of God's flowing. Just like the power of God hit this person, there's the power of God right there flowing towards you right now. God has taken away all of your depression and discouragement, fear. It's 
broken over you in Jesus' name. Praise God. You know, if the Lord's ministering to you, call our helpline. It's 719 area code and then 635-1111. 719-635-1111. And let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. And we believe God's touching you right now, that miracles are happening right where you are in Jesus' name. Praise God. Father, we just agree and we receive all of these miracles right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You know, again, there's somebody watching on the Internet that God has spoken to you tonight. God could have spoken a lot of things, but there's somebody that God spoke to about coming to this school. And that's really your desire, but you're just trying to figure out how can I do that and what about this? God is saying just take the first step. Put some motion to your boat. Do something. Call in. Register. Make some step. Plan. Move in this direction. And once you start moving, God can work a miracle out. I really believe that that's a word of God for somebody. Somebody even that's in a foreign country is watching right now and God's speaking to you. You need to respond and do what God told you to do. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, we agree and we receive this. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, somebody's back's being healed. You've been having a lot of pain in your back. Even right now, during this service, you've had pain in your back. Who's this? Is this you, Mark? <laughs> in the back, our sound guy. In the name of Jesus, we release this healing power and we command that pain to leave your back now in Jesus' name. And whatever caused this pain, Father, we just thank you that it's gone now. Anything that's been damaged, Father, I thank you for your anointing flowing through Mark's body and bringing healing unto him. Somebody here, your left shoulder, you have trouble lifting your shoulder. It's like you can't do it. You have to lift your arm like this. Somebody's got a problem here in your shoulder. Who's this? Is this you? If that's you, I want you to stand and identify yourself. Raise your hand so I can see who you are. Right here. Well, you're lifting your left shoulder. That's your right shoulder over there. Oh, it's both of them. <laughs> So can you lift your arms like this? Does it hurt? In the name of Jesus, I command whatever that pain is, Father, I just loose your healing to flow towards her right now. And we command that anointing to flow and for these rotator cuffs to be healed, these shoulders to be healed. I thank you that she's healed and there's total freedom of movement and no more pain. Now let's lift your arms. How you feeling? Feel good? Feeling better? Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? That's a supernatural power of God. Somebody here has had some pain in your stomach. I'm not sure if it's uh, like nausea, but you got problems in your stomach. Here's a healing power of God right now setting you free. Who's that? Is this right? You are up here to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right now, here, what's wrong with your stomach? It's already gone. Isn't that great? That's what the Holy Spirit will do when you start yielding to Him. Praise God. 
already healed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for that. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the Lord just spoke to me that somebody here has really been struggling financially and you're saying, boy, I need a word from God. I got a word from God for you. It says, my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you would believe that and just begin to start speaking the word, not speaking your fear, but speak the word, you'll see this financial situation turn around. Who's that that needs that tonight? If that's you... I want you to raise your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these right now. And we just speak that you are supplying all of our need according to your riches in glory. Not according to this world economy. Not according to the U.S. economy. Father, according to your riches in glory. We speak that and we call this poverty, this need, this lack to be over in Jesus' name. And Father, we speak financial blessing right now and release this anointing and I thank you Father that your word is creating prosperity in people's lives right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father we agree and we receive it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Awesome. I tell you God's doing a lot of things. There's a lot of things happening this week that there's no way that we can call everything out or mention it but if you have a need from God, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, if it's in relationships, you just need to draw on this power of the Holy Spirit that's here right now. Again, I say the same thing to the people watching over the Internet. This same anointing can flow right towards you. God is right there with you. And you just need to reach out and receive this power of God. You know, the Scripture says that the, pre the power of the Lord was present to heal. The power of the Lord is present to heal bodies, heal emotions, heal finances. All you got to do is reach out and receive it. The power of the Lord is here. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we release your anointing and believe that you are meeting needs, physical, financial, emotional, relationships. Thank you that you are changing people's lives right now. We just speak the Word of God. We take your Word and speak it to ourselves in boldness that by your stripes we are healed, that all of our needs are met. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive and we thank you. Thank you, Father, that this is just the beginning. That, Father, people's lives are never going to be the same. That, Father, people are going to start acting on what you've spoken to them. I thank you as they follow through that, Father, great miracles are going to happen, not only for themselves, but for all of the people that their lives will touch. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, we agree and receive it. Praise God. It's great first day to campus days. We'll be back tomorrow, amen. God never gives dessert first. It'll get better. You're dismissed. God bless you.